With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. Can't see him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we uh, break down this past week into racing. Before we do that, let me introduce you to the panel I've assembled for you tonight. With me, as always, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, Mr. Richard Uden is in the house, race engineer, and the NASCAR correspondent at Motorsports Tribune, Seth Eggert, all in the studio tonight. How is everybody? Doing great. Doing good. Very good, thank you. All right, great to have everybody here tonight. Uh, if we sound if we sound a little wore out and beat, we're taping later than usual. Uh, we're past the bedtimes for us old guys here, but <laughs> we'll all stick with it for you. Um, good weekend to race in Talladega, um, and then the um, Formula One cars were in Azerbaijan at the Baku circuit, and we had a uh, a Talladega race with a kind of an anticlimactic finish, and at the same time we had a Formula One race with a bit of a wild finish, uh, which is uh, <laughs> seems to defy logic. But uh, let's start off uh, with uh, Talladega. Um, our, our winner was uh, Joey Logano, who's uh, his first win of the season, punches his card uh, to get him into the chase. Um, like Seth uh, was telling me earlier off the air, it's the um, sixth recent uh, restrictor plate win for the Penske guys. All the Ford cars were strong. Um, Paul Menard took his first stage win. Keselowski took the took the uh, the early stage win. So, uh, Gray, Seth, uh, let's talk about Talladega a little bit. Yeah, it was, uh, it was by some accounts, it was, it was tame. Uh, only really, uh, it was a couple of skirmishes. One big 14 car wreck. Uh, I think, uh, Took out some contenders, but, uh, you know, um, I thought it was, a, like all the restrictor plate races, it was captivating. You were going to sit there and watch it, and, uh, and it had had, it, had its storylines, uh, the biggest of which you've already alluded to, the dominance of, of the Fords again. Uh, you know, we saw, the, uh, saw Kevin Harvick blister uh, the field in, in winning the pole. And, uh, of course, we had some issues that, and we'll go, we'll back up a little bit. We had some issues on Friday that occurred, 
and uh, caused NASCAR to make a rule change and change the uh, size of the restrictor plate uh, after practice on Friday. They thought the speeds were getting a little bit too high, and uh, we had a, had an incident on uh, on the back stretch where uh, Jamie McMurray uh, cut down a left rear tire, got sideways, and uh, and was hit by Ryan Newman and, and tumbled his car down the back stretch. I think what some seven and ten seven and a half times. times. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was very reminiscent of the pre-roof flap day kind of wrecks that we would well, see on the bigger tracks. Yeah, it was a scary moment for Jamie, but he was uh, he I, was unhurt. I think if the car had probably not been hit by Newman uh, and kind of what what got it up in the air, uh, the car problem, the the roof flaps may have deployed and, and kept it on the ground. But you know, we'll never know that. That along with the speed that Ty Dillon showed in the first practice, kind of uh, kind of. Uh, concerned NASCAR, and they uh, issued a bulletin uh, soon after practice on Friday and reduced the size of the restrictor plates uh, to kind of, you know, in in, in the uh, interest of safety. They said. What, so what that, was that, the what was the speed that Ty Dillon ran? He was two oh two, I believe, something like that. Uh, he was two oh four, and in the two oh four, and in the second practice. Right before McMurray uh, went airborne, they had run a lap that was 202. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're, so still, anyway, we're still well off the pre-restrictor plate, you know, like oh, Bill sure. Elliott kind of time. So, yeah, but I guess 202 yeah. is fast enough for them to, to take a hard look at that and, and try to go on the uh, side of safety. So, I'm sorry, Greg, continue. Well the, well, the guys are, you know, I don't care what NASCAR does. These guys constantly work on trying to regain anything that NASCAR takes away from them, and, and it's and that's just the nature of the nature of the beast. But uh, they slowed them down a little bit, and then of course we we go into it. But the Ford continued its dominance uh, in qualifying and in the race. And uh, we were talking, you know, uh, pre-show of the uh, the uh, job, good job that the Ford teams did in working together. They met as a group before the race and decided they were going to work together to, to almost ensure that a Ford would end up in victory lane. And you could see that throughout the race as the Fords, as the Ford cars uh, continually work together uh, throughout the race. And we'd seen that before we saw it some last year. I think Toyota used a similar strategy uh, in, in, in some of the plate races last year too, but uh, Ford was very dominant and, and it led to a Joey Logano uh, win uh, his first of the season, and his first in over a year uh, since the uh, since the race last year at um, the encumbered win that he had last year at Richmond last uh, a, a year and a week actually uh, away. So yeah, and by some accounts it was a little tame. Uh, I thought it you know was somewhat competitive in the mid, but nothing like we thought. Uh, I did hear a report uh, when they were uh, listening to the pre-race over the radio and they in, uh, interviewed uh, Keselowski, and he was alluding to how hard the cars were to drive, uh, at, you know, this time at Talladega, and he thought there would be a lot of carnage throughout the race. Uh, that didn't, that prophecy didn't hold, uh, hold true. There was two incidents, one big one, like we said, that took out about, uh, that would involve 14 cars. But uh, and that was basically caused when two uh, two Hendrick cars were racing together, and I believe uh, Jimmy just got loose in front and uh, came down and hit Byron, and then of course everybody else was kind of swept up in it. But um, 
you know, you, you kept kind of waiting. It's like a typical Talladega race. You keep waiting for the waiting for the big one. It seemed throughout throughout the day that it could happen at any moment. But uh, you know, just only those two incidents, and uh, and pretty much uh, we got through it with with without a you know really huge wreck. It took out you know basically half the field like we've seen sometimes in multiple and, wrecks. And one other thing. Uh, they also took away the uh, adjustable track bar, the driver adjustable track bar, in the from the cars. They allowed the teams to have them at Daytona, but a lot of the drivers, if not all of the drivers, used it to skew the car to try to get more downforce, more horsepower, and that ultimately caused some of the wrecks at Daytona. Yeah, so NASCAR yeah. took it away for Talladega. Yeah, and that's a departure from last year. Last year, they didn't allow them to have the track bar at the Speedway races. So when they went to Daytona this 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 winter, they were allowed it for the for the first time. So um, so I guess you know after they saw what was happening there at Daytona, uh, they decided, and that's, and that's a good move, probably. Yeah. And not only did we have the Cup Series in action, we had the Xfinity Series in action, and in the Xfinity Series. It was a relatively tame race, just like the Cup Series. And at one point, it was a fuel mileage race. Justin Allgaier was in the lead by nearly 12 seconds, drafting with a bunch of cars that were on the tail end of the lead lap, trying to save enough fuel (laughs) to make it to the finish. And it was a cut tire by Daniel Hemrick that ended up re-racking the field. Under caution, Allgaier ran out of fuel. Uh, David Starr ran out of fuel. There was a number of them. That yeah, uh, I think Brandon Jones ran out of fuel. Austin Sindrick ran out on the restart. Uh, but coming to the checkered, uh, All Geyer and Elliot Sadler, who both had their own issues, were able to make it up through the middle, finish, I think, third and fourth. Uh, Spencer Gallagher took the win, and... And it was an exciting finish. Gallagher earned his first win. It was his first win for GMS Racing. Uh, unfortunately, there are circumstances that came out uh, today on Wednesday uh, that we'll get to in a little bit. But all in all, it was an exciting race. And it was actually the first time in Xfinity Series history that a cup driver was not in the field at Taldega. And that's because yeah. of dash for cash rules. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm I'm uh, I'm not a big fan of the uh, this these last several races where they've had this dash for cash thing and they've eliminated eliminated the cup drivers. Basically, and and I can I, I I've, I've talked to different fans. We were at uh, we went out to a sports bar to watch. Uh, Sunday's race, and I was talking with some other fans there, and they were, we were talking about the Xfinity races, and and they just, there was from the group of people I was talking about, there was not a lot of interest in that race in the last few Xfinity races, simply because there was not a, you know the the field in the race, there was not a lot of people that, that were household names, so to speak, and uh, I don't know, I mean I understand why NASCAR's trying to do it, and they're trying to get these guys. Uh, to, uh, to, to push these young guys that are in the series. But I'm telling you, I, I don't know if it's the right tact to, to go by NASCAR to take 
these cup drivers out of the show. I think uh, I think not only do they add add they add to it. Basically, you know, they're, they're marquee names, and, and uh, they bring a lot of, of eyeballs to those particular races. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, uh, what's your, I, what do you... I personally like the idea, and I, I do agree that there should be cup drivers in the field at least at some point in the year, but it was getting to the point where cup drivers were dominating so much that I want to say in 2013, I may have my year wrong, but in the year 2012 or 2013, Xfinity Series regulars only won three races. Yeah, I mean, and, and, oh, I know, and it's, and it's been more than more times than not that's been the case, and I, I agree with you. The year that I think that Austin Dillon won the championship, he won it without winning a single race, and I think at that, that particular year it was only uh, – uh, two wins or so, two or three wins. By, two were uh, by Sam Horns Jr., I know that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and basically he was somewhat considered a, a cup driver uh, in, in some regard. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm an old-school guy, and I go back to the uh, – to the. My, I got my career started back in the old Bush Grand National days when, when, when that was pretty much a standalone series and, a sta- and had established its own – its own stars uh, in that sport, and we saw people come along, and they would they would uh, they would establish themselves in that series before they moved up. I think part of it, it, it part of the problem that we're seeing with Xfinity now is these kids move up way too quick. They'll come along, they'll 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 come up and have this meteoric rise through K, one year of K and N. They'll win win a few races. And then they'll automatically somebody you know because they've uh, got money they'll end up in a in a in a truck uh, top flight truck ride they'll spend one year there and then they they automatically go up to, uh, to so it's really no they don't really have a following by the time they get to um, to Xfinity and I think that that in itself lends to a little bit of and to some degree disinterest. I think that's a factor for some of the drivers, maybe not all of them, but I do agree that it is a factor. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it's good for the guys, obviously, that are in it. It's good for guys like like Bell and and Brandon Jones and Daniel Hemrick and some of those guys. But, you know, I'm a a believer in, in those guys learn a lot from racing those cup guys, you know, ultimately. And uh, you know, I I, I know that, I know what why they try to do that. It just I think the jury's still out on on what's how this is going to happen. I guess if the you know uh, it'll have to be a little bit more in depth study to see if it's actually hurting the series, hurting intense. Because you know, as we know, support race attendance has been down the last several years, and I don't think that's obviously that's you know, because of other factors that we've seen because this attendance is down all the way across the board. Um, TV ratings or, or I'd, I'd have to see how that goes. But then again, the Bush, I mean, the Xfinity TV ratings, you really can't compare apples to apples because a lot of times those races end up on cable TV anyway, and you're not going to get uh, the eyeballs that you would have if they were on uh, network TV. So, um, yeah, it's just, I guess it's a matter of just 
personal preference when you when you look at those and see what you know what you think how you know it, if you need more cup drivers in the field to kind of spice the show up. Yeah, it kind of- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Kind of, you know, it kind of defies the the logic of what would be good to promote the sport. You know, um, NASCAR as a whole. You know, there was an article that came out today in, of, uh, in Forbes magazine uh, discussing NASCAR's declining ratings, declining attendance. You know, it's uh, same old, same old. But they, uh, you know, had mentioned that uh, you know that Talladega was a twenty eight percent drop in TV ratings. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, they said that they're that Bristol, you know, Bristol had the rain out and whatnot, but uh, it, it's come out that they're, the pre-sales, they only sold 48,000 tickets pre-sale. Um, so, obviously, if the, the top series is struggling, the, the you know, the support yeah, series that, is, is struggling I, mightily. So, why take the few things that are good about the support series and make it even – give people even less reason to tune in, you know, because yeah. – uh, But, you know, Talladega had a good on-hand crowd there. They Talladega did. It, it really looked like it was down slightly from years past, but it still had a really good crowd, though. Still a lot of folks there in the yeah, stands. And, and I was a little curious how that was going to be, it, it, you know, going into Talladega just to see what the Earnhardt uh, effect would be because basically, you know, he, he was a, he's a huge fan favorite. When, when they go to Talladega, but you know, attendance is down all all across the board, and we talk about it uh, all the time. And it's not only you know IndyCar is facing the same battle. Um, IndyCar is making some inroads, but still, you know, IndyCar's TV TV uh, r- ratings are, are are still you know uh, NASCAR just you know. Wins that is going to win that battle still, even with declining ratings. Oh yeah, so, I mean, yeah. IndyCar is just a, a, a small footprint on the racing yeah. landscape uh, right now. I mean, they've made gains, but they're still, you know, it's you know the, the tallest but, pygmy, you know. Yeah, and, and they're having they're having issues at certain tracks putting fans in the stands too, as we saw at, at Phoenix. But you know, I'm I'm of the mindset that you know. Whether you're a fan of IndyCar or whether you're a fan of uh, of NASCAR, uh, basically a rising tide is going to float all boats. So, you know, NASCAR's success will help IndyCar and vice versa. I, I, I believe that. And just for American motorsports in general. And uh, I think, you know, basically, uh, you know, we've seen some declines. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think some of the issues we've talked about before on the show are more societal than, than anything. 
I don't think I think it's just so many other things to do. We're seeing the same thing in in other major sports too, uh, NBA, uh, NFL, MLB. Uh, they're all uh, a victim of declining ratings and, and and some things like that too. So I don't know. I just think basically we just you know as, as society changes. Uh, Motorsports is going to have to find a way to kind of keep up uh, with those changes and, and 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 bring a product to market that that appeals. Absolutely, and, yeah. And speaking of societal issues and stuff like that, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, uh, some news came out today. Uh, Spencer Gallagher, who won at Talladega, uh, NASCAR had suspended him indefinitely for violating the substance abuse policy. Uh, they have not said what substance. Galgar has not said what substance. Uh, he is going to go into the road to recovery program. This knocks him out of the Xfinity Series playoffs. It uh, knocks him out of the dash for cash, putting Ryan Sieg in. Ryan Sieg was the next eligible driver for the Dash for Cash. Who are, who are the four that are that that are eligible? Uh, as of now, it's Brandon Jones, Justin Allgaier, Elliot Sadler, and Ryan Sieg. And that's for this weekend's race. It does that's for this right? weekend, and this weekend is the last Dash for Cash race of the season. Okay. Uh, it also. It's a family-owned team, GMS Racing, so once Gallagher goes through the program, it's expected that he'll return to the ride. It, on They say the program takes about four to six weeks. As of right now, uh, Johnny Sawyer, who drives the number 21 truck for GMS Racing, will uh, fill in for Gallagher at Dover, and more than likely will fill in at Charlotte in two weeks as well. Okay. So let me ask you guys this, uh, I, because I'm not really familiar with uh, NASCAR's uh, drug testing policy. So is it, uh, are they just randomly ask for samples, or is everyone expected to produce a sample at a certain time, or, uh, you know, uh, or, or, is there, or is there a, a well, it, if somebody the tipped them off, or if there was a suspicion... Well, he, he got—he probably got busted on random. The, the and then it, I'm, I'm certain, yeah, it had to be random. We all NASCAR crew members that that are going to get a license or a hard card credential are required to go through preseason drug testing. That's all preseason, and then at at various times during the course of the year. They have random uh, random tests. You're subject to that. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I know uh, I was I was still going over the wall when um, when uh, when this was going on, and uh, when we first started this program, I never had to go through uh, uh, had to have random. My number just never came up. If there is an incident, if you're involved in an incident at the track. Uh, an accident or anything like that, then a lot of times they will do a drug test, drug test just to kind of clear things up. But then again, drivers are subject to randoms um, at, at any time, and it's not unlike uh, any other sport. Uh, I can speak to uh, to NCAA uh, college baseball. A lot of times, uh, 
post game, they will they will randomly check uh, a, a player or two uh, from um, uh, um, from each team. So it's it's that's not an that's not unusual. So when you say that somebody is maybe asked to give a sample after an accident of the track, okay? So you're not referring to an on-track incident. You're oh, no, referring no, to like so so similar to like what most most workplaces have post-accident yeah. drug testing. Yeah, if you if right. you if, if you if you have an on-the-job injury, you're right. you're gonna if you're if gonna be you're gonna on pit road, right, right, pit okay, road or something like that. They would in in some instances they they just require and basically they're just covering covering their tracks. You know, and covering the bases. And yeah, and that's that yeah, that's not unusual too. at all. Most no, most employers no, have mm-hmm. post accident drug testing. If you've hurt yourself at work, you're gonna you're gonna take it. You know, you're gonna pee in a cup. Yeah, and so and Richard Richard can speak to this too. You know, when 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 <laughs> I think when both of us t- started work at, at RCR, we had to take a drug test. Yeah, well. and I was I was actually when I was there, I did have a. Minor uh, minor encounter with a uh, high speed fan blade and took the tip of my finger off and I had to go through a drug screen test on that as well. So uh, yeah. unfortunately, I did, unfortunately, yeah, I, I wasn't under the influence of anything. It was my own stupidity. Yeah, but but you, those things aren't uncommon, uh, really. I think and, you know, in NASCAR for years and years and years, you know, NASCAR was probably one of the last major. Uh, series to to go with the drug testing kind of thing because when you look at other major sport sports the dry the competitors in those in those sports are somewhat unionized and they're protected under collective bargaining agreements where in nascar we're all uh considered as uh, independent contractors so they kind of just cleaned that up uh i guess it's been probably 10 or more years ago now we've we've been under those rules yeah so so seth back to uh the story about uh mr gallagher so he's gonna go through the uh rehabilitation program expect to be back in the car but now so if he if he wins another race after 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 he's rehabilitated or is he he's 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 done it's not, he's done, period, as far as this year's playoffs are concerned. NASCAR is not giving him a waiver. Uh, he is going to miss too many races, A, and B. One of the requirements is either you attempt to qualify for all of them or you attempt to, and if you miss one for injury or some other excused absence, essentially, NASCAR will give you a waiver. For example... Uh, back in 2015, Kurt Busch was suspended for three races because of the allegations of domestic violence. Those allegations were later to be proven false, and because they were proven false, NASCAR granted him a waiver. Right, and of course, famously, Tony Stewart and um, younger Bush brother Kyle were also granted waivers, and Kyle, after missing 11 races, won the championship a few years ago. Exactly. So, but uh, Spencer Gallagher's not gonna. <laughs> this is not gonna be. An ex- this is not com- gonna be an excused absence, huh? The common is if he was given a waiver, it would be a vacation and not a punishment. I agree. I agree fully. So, well, let, let's just uh, keep positive thoughts. That uh, you said. What? What did you tell me? They the statement from the team was it was just a, a lapse in judgment the, or one time lapse in judgment from. 
The statement from Gallagher was this was a one-time error in judgment. Yep. And, and we've all done crazy things when we're young, too, so. <laughs> and, and, and before, well, go ahead. Speak go ahead. for yourselves. No, no Gray, you first. No, I was going to say, before we get, get away from, from the Talladega news, it, 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 we have to mention that former NASCAR driver James Hilton yes. uh, and, his, and his son were killed uh, early, early Saturday morning returning from Talladega uh, where they had uh, competed in the ARCA race on Friday. Uh, they were killed in a traffic accident at the uh, Georgia-South Carolina line. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, here at Drafting the Circus, we want to extend our condolences to the Hilton family. James Hilton was a was one of the first really uh, notable privateers uh, in, in our sport. Uh, he finished second three times uh, in the NASCAR championship uh, over the years. He's a, he was a two-time winner and was the 1966 Rookie of the Year in, uh, in, in NASCAR. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I, I, I knew James Hilton. I ran into him uh, not too terribly long ago at one of our vendors down in Mooresville and talked with him for a little while. Uh, he was he was he was one of the good guys in our sport, uh, one of the pioneers, if you will. Uh, he still raced uh, in ARCA uh, 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 up until his 80s, and I believe he was uh, 82 years old at the time of his death last weekend. And he is the oldest driver to attempt to make the Daytona 500 field. Yep. Uh, his crew chief, who was driving the truck at the time, uh, Terry Strange. He survived with uh, some broken bones. Uh, he, I believe he has been released from the hospital. Uh, what he said happened was he was trying to avoid a collision with another vehicle, and when he stomped on the brakes, essentially, to avoid it, uh, the truck jackknifed. So where we're talking, this was the, the race hauler? Yes. Uh, it, it, I believe the race hauler is more of a bus with a uh, trailer, but yes, that's yeah, gonna, just very, very unfortunate. Yeah, our yeah. obviously our our their families and all of our thoughts. So, yeah, and but, just Gray, yeah. uh, uh, you first. Sorry, no, go no, go ahead. I was just gonna echo what uh, what Frank just said, but go go right ahead. Yeah. And I, I was gonna say this came right on the heels of. Uh, the announcement that NASCAR was going to acquire ARCA and people at the racetrack were joking with James, welcoming him, welcoming him back to NASCAR as a team owner because of that announcement. So at least he got to know he was back in NASCAR. So yeah, and like I said, the Hiltons were a fixture in our sport for, for, for many, many years. And the, yeah, uh, James will be be sorely missed. Now, speaking of the ARCA acquisition, okay, what do you what do you feel like NASCAR's long term plans are with ARCA? I, you know, it's because you know they they've got trucks, they've got Xfinity, you know, they got their own kind of ladder series. Uh, ARCA falls right in there somewhere. The the cars are similar. Um, well, are, are they looking for another rung on their own ladder, or are they looking well, to for, mer- merge this with Xfinity? Or I, I know we're going to be, it's it's going to be a, a it's not going to be a quick process. There's a, um, 
they going to run autonomously for a year or two or uh, for a year? Right. Uh, so, but I, what do you, I mean? What do you what do you think is behind this? Uh, are they, well, they going to the dissolve it? Uh, you know, amalgamate it into their own ladder series, or or try to build it up? Well, the cars are more similar to the K and N Pro Series cars, the regional series. Uh, right, which is but, which is owned by NASCAR, correct? Yes. 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 Okay. But I think, at least from what I've heard, uh, there's still a lot of details to go into this, a lot of planning and a lot of scheduling. But some of what I've heard is pairing it, the ARCA series, with the truck series, and also having combination races at some short tracks with the K and M Pro series to essentially try to build up the lower tier series, the support series, which we said earlier, in some senses have been struggling attendance-wise. The acquisition of ARCA also will give NASCAR four tracks, Lucas Oil Raceway, uh, Salem Speedway, Toledo Speedway, and the Mile Dirt Track at the Coin. Right. I I don't see NASCAR really coming in and making any wholesale changes, if anything, I, I go. I, I think, like like Seth said, they they stand have an opportunity to uh, to kind of bolster uh, both series and by combining some shows together. One thing that I think Arca is a pretty pretty solid organization. The one thing that they have, and, and I've talked to several Arca teams this week. One of the drawbacks that Arca has right now is they have some deficiencies in their inspection process. NASCAR will be able to strengthen those uh, <laughs> to a degree, you know. Hey, Richard, so, um, Richard's laughing. <laughs> well, I mean, you go to you go to some ARCA races and some of the some of the stuff that that goes, particularly some of the back market teams that go through. Uh, some of the stuff can can be almost laughable, but um, I think I think you know it, it'll it'll add a little structure to uh, a little more structure to to ARCA's current uh, situation. And another uh, part of ARCA's current situation, uh, they signed a exclusive deal with the, the people who run their website right before the social media boom. And that's one of the main reasons why you don't see a lot of social media buzz about ARCA during their ARCA races or, or in general a lot of the time because they and their teams are stuck with that agreement, which, thanks to NASCAR uh, essentially acquiring ARCA, will if, at some point be null and void, allowing ARCA to try to build up its fan base. It already has a decent-sized fan base, but who knows what it could have been had ARCA been able to take advantage of the social media boom. Right, and yeah, and I can't see NAS, I, you know, NASCAR... ARCA has a very large footprint in the Midwest. I can't see NASCAR coming in and trying to upset that apple cart. I, 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 I like Seth. I think, you know, with NASCAR's marketing tools and their power, they can come in and, and enhance that situation. Yeah, so uh, we'll just have to see how things play out over the next couple of years. Um with ARCA now under the NASCAR umbrella. But uh, before we move on to uh, talk about this uh, interesting Formula One race we had over in Azerbaijan, let's uh, talk briefly about the um, upcoming NASCAR race at the Monster Mile. 
um, where we got Miles the Monster, which is the, still the coolest trophy in NASCAR. I don't care who you are, other than the alarm, than the grandfather clock. Yeah, I like that one too. But uh, who do we like for um, uh, Dover? You know, I, Dover. I, I tend to think of uh, Jimmy Johnson, who's won several races there, and Jimmy, who's in dire need of a win. Jimmy just can't catch a break this year. So, uh, uh, Seth, who do you like for uh, Dover? Martin Truex Jr. All right. And Gray? Yeah, I, I think, you know, basically we have seen uh, seen, the, seen the intermediate tracks come down to just, you know, basically it's, it's Ford versus Toyota. And Chevrolet being uh, just racing for what's left. I think, you know, I think Kyle Larson and, and, and Chase Elliott may have a little something to say about that. And you just mentioned the fact that, you know, Jimmy Johnson is a, is a leading active winner there. Obviously, he that'd be a nice place for him to get well there too. Uh, just don't know, you know, what what we're going to see from Chevrolet uh, right now. I, I still think, uh, you know, it's going to be a Ford Toyota battle. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go with uh, Keselowski. Okay, very good pick. And Richard, who do you like for uh, Dover? Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, and I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. Uh, he's a former Dover winner, and he just he just kind of been hot everywhere this year. I, I think this is Harvick's year to uh, win it all again, but I'm sure uh, guys like Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, and Keselowski have something to say about that. So um, yeah, It's a triple header weekend, too, as well. All, all three touring series will be in action at, uh, at Dover. The trucks will run Friday. And the Xfinity cars will run on Saturday. And like Seth said a few minutes ago, this will be the final dash for cash race uh, of the season for the Xfinity drivers. All right. So we'll look forward to a great weekend of racing in Dover. But let's look back on a pretty interesting weekend in Azerbaijan. Um, when they added this track to the schedule a couple of years, we all weren't sure what to think. It was, you know, the Monaco of the... The Mideast, you know, the narrow, narrow track, winds around a castle, beautiful scenery. Um, and it's turned out to not disappoint. Uh, it's been a pretty entertaining race every year. And, uh, Richard, we saw your favorite driver, uh, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton uh, benefit from um, some of the misfortune of others to take his first win of the season, Mercedes' first win of the season. Um Largely at the expense of uh, his his own teammate, uh, who just about had the race won there. So, Richard, let's uh, let's rehash um, Baku for a few minutes. Oh wow! Yeah, how long have we got left? Um, it was, uh, you got uh, twenty five minutes. Plenty of time. Okay. Plenty we'll, of time. We may get the first first few laps in. Yeah, I mean, as you say, when the track first came in, everybody was sort of hyping it up as this really fast street circuit, um, and it. It's sort of the first year, it was a bit of an anticlimax, but then, you know, last year and, and this year, it's been like, okay, yeah, this is what it's meant to be like, you know, an action-packed race with safety cars left and right, and, uh, you know, these guys really sort of pushing themselves to the limit. Uh, as I say, you know, that's what the track was made for. Um, you look at, um, you know, because last year, the infamous instance with Sebastian Vettel and... Uh, uh, and Lewis Hamilton in the safety car period, and pretty early on in the race, you got the same same scenario where you had uh, 
uh, you know, the safety car out. You had rules reversed a little bit here. You had Vettel in the front with Hamilton behind. Um, leading up to that, you had a couple of uh, potentially very, very nasty incidents. Uh, Alonso got caught up with uh, Shirokin, at least, and uh, potentially Ericsson as well, I think, was involved in a little coming together there. That, um, th- that put uh, Shirokin out of the race, and uh, Alonso had immense damage there. Both right side tyres were punctured, holes in bodywork, bits of electronics hanging out all over the place and uh, you know Alonso did remarkably well to get that car back out there and uh, and complete the race but uh, under the first safety car period there there was uh, some comments by Hamilton that maybe Vettel wasn't exactly playing by the rules and uh, was uh, was sort of uh, checking up and uh, and uh, you know not not accelerating and and, and holding the, the, the role that the leader should do when the safety car pulls in but uh, you know, you, you got this situation again where the Ferrari appeared to be the dominant car and was starting to pull away. Further back in the pack, you had some, some excellent racing <coughs> Excuse me, between uh, the two Red Bull cars with uh, Vettel, I'm sorry, Verstappen and, uh, and Ricciardo there. Fantastic racing. And it was always getting a little bit close. And unfortunately, the inevitable was bound to happen. And uh, going down into turn one, Ricciardo got a run on uh, uh, on Verstappen with the DRS, and uh, yeah, he just Verstappen weaved in front of him a couple of times there, and just basically ran into the back of him. Um, to a certain extent, a racing incident, and they're both been reprimanded rather than any excuse me punishment in terms of penalties or uh, you know points deductions or whatever it may be, which I think is probably the right decision to make. It was. Uh, you know, Verstappen definitely uh, made his car very, very wide going into turn one, but also Ricciardo he probably overcommitted and probably would have, um, you know, probably should have realised who he was racing against here and, and given him a little bit of a wider berth there, but uh, maybe a little bit naive so, by so Richard, Richard, yep. in, in your eyes, whose fault was that? Uh, I'd say 75% Verstappen, 25% Ricciardo. All right, there you go. Uh, and 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 then with so the, the race was going to restart with ten laps left uh, potentially. You know, you'd seen the situation where Bottas had stayed out for a very very long time, hoping for a safety car. And and to his, you know, that, the timing of everything worked out perfectly there with that safety car, and he was able to uh, to get ahead of um, Vettel uh, on on track. So you you were set up for like a ten lap showdown basically between. Uh, Bottas and um, Vettel, probably, you know, Hamilton just didn't really have the pace to, to, to sort of keep up with those two guys. And then uh, as there were tyre warming coming to the restart, uh, Grosjean was hit by Ericsson, who was at least 20 car lengths behind him at the time. It was quite amazing, really, that, uh, you know, it was almost like Mario Kart where, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of banana skin got thrown out and... Uh, yeah, Grosjean was adamant that Ericsson hit him, which, uh, as, as the replay show, certainly didn't happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a fantastic race. And then, of course, to make matters worse, once they did get restarted for, uh, for Bottas, his, his tyre failed after hitting some debris with two laps to go. So there was Hamilton just sort of inherited a win that really hadn't been at the, uh, literally hadn't been at the races all weekend. And uh, walks away with the trophy and now the championship leader, I believe. So, uh, yeah, you couldn't, couldn't make it up. 
Yeah, um, yeah, he's he's four four points clear of Vettel in the in the standings. Yeah, which I mean, it kind of blows my mind because you know Vettel's been so yeah, how did, so did good this year, but uh, that's you know Formula One math. What? But I mean, that's been you know, I mean, Vettel made a very ambitious move on Bottas uh, on the on the restart and probably gave away a solid second place and and you know sacrificed that and I think finished fourth overall. Yeah, he, he pretty uh, much threw his race away. That's uh, you know, yeah, and, and, and it was like that, that was all on him. Yeah, yeah. It was the, the issue in China where he was hit by uh, Verstappen, and again, probably did well to finish that race. So, um, you know, it's been a little bit scrappy by all of the major contenders. Uh, and hey, the, you know, the fans aren't going to complain about that. The fans have been crying out and calling for unpredictable races where nobody knows what's going to happen. And, and certainly, we've been we've been blessed with that for the first uh, four races of the season so far you're almost waiting for for one of the manufacturers to sort of grab the grab you know 2018 by the scruff of the neck and really go out and dominate now um, yeah that's that's what i'm afraid start. of now that now that hamilton's won one he's going to be unstoppable yeah because we've seen I, I it before what, but uh, uh, that's what you saw back in i think it was 2012 off the top of my head when you had like the first seven races were won by seven different drivers then when you went to the uh, the sort of summer break they're having Formula One post that summer break, Red Bull came back and I think won every race or something, um, you know, something along those lines. So you know you, you were to a certain extent you worried that somebody's going to say right, okay, lads, come on, you know, stop stop messing around. This is how we do it. And, yeah, yeah. Formula uh, One's not supposed to be this entertaining. Stop it, boys. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and the only sort of interesting sort of. Post, uh, you know, post Azerbaijan news that's came out about it. Out from there has been everybody was sort of waxing about how great the ra- last two races have been at Azerbaijan, but now there's a rumor that uh, Miami is going to take over Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan's slot on the grid. Uh, there's even talk of the promoter of Azerbaijan actually selling all of his pit equipment uh, and pit lane structures to the uh, Miami promoter- promoters, which would be a real shame if that happened because. You finally got a street circuit out there that uh, is fast. You know, I mean, you, you know, Monaco's a, a classic, and that's never going to change. But you've also, you know, you got your Singapore's these days, which are, you know, that's a that's gaining a you know a reputation of being a, a you know almost a classic circuit now with its night race. But uh, so we're talking yeah, be, Miami, Florida. Yeah, yes. Miami, two thousand and nineteen. Uh, but where is the street, street street circuit? Yes. But yeah, yeah there's going to be a. They've tried a that. A, tried that a couple times yeah. with IndyCars and yeah, Tom Miami Park well, and there's yeah. So I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, it's a big market. Is the race in Baku losing money? Ah, uh, it's a Bernie thing, wasn't it? That was one of Bernie's things. Maybe Liberty are trying to, you know, distance themselves and and you know, obviously Liberty being a U.S. based organization, there's no secret they want U.S. based races. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's no secret they want a second race over here. Yeah, I mean so, the other the other one they were floating for a while was Vegas, but uh, I would prefer Miami yeah. to I would prefer Miami to Vegas. I think uh, I would mean, well, make a better race. Been, so the best one that was ever muted was the uh, sort of um, you know on the shore of the Hudson in Newark or New Jersey overlooking the Hudson and the uh, you know the skyline there. I mean that would have been a yeah they, they, they were spectacle. they were never gonna never gonna get that one done uh, just because of. 
you know, New York City, New Jersey, red tape. It's the same thing that killed the Grand Prix of Boston for IndyCar. That that was never going to happen. There's too many palms, too many, too many palms to grease. Too many palms to grease. So oh, yeah. now, yeah, Seth. Seth, you want to get some comments about the race here, some comments about Formula 1. I know you've been sitting kind of quietly in the wings waiting for a spot to jump in. So, Seth, here's your spot. Jump on in. Yeah, as far as the two Red Bull drivers are concerned, I know it was a more of a racing deal, but what's the saying at no matter what more sport is, number one rule, do not wreck your teammate? That's all yeah. I was thinking that entire time watching the replays. And as I'm sitting there watching the race, I look at the leaderboard and I'm like, oh, both Hobbs F1 cars are in the top 10. They'll both score points today. Not even 10 seconds after I make the comment, they show Groshin's car destroyed up against the wall. Yeah. And I don't know how embarrassing it is, but I don't think it can be any more embarrassing than to destroy your car under a safety car. Uh, probably entering the pit lanes is probably the only, other, <laughs> the only one worse. But I, I tell you, the thing that struck me is during the first third of the race, the battle for like fourth, the, I mean, fifth, sixth. Oh, I mean, you saw the Renaults up there. Um, right, and so, that was, um, that was incredible in racing. Ball. Yeah, that was incredible uh, and, racing. You know, one guy that I think deserves a huge mention is Charles Leclerc in the South to bring it home. Sick was it? I think. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Sixth place finish in that in the Sauber is mm-hmm. fantastic and, and certainly needs a, a huge mention. And I think if you were to pick a, you know, they do it on the team, be a, a driver of the day sort of um, you know award. To my mind, that's Leclerc all day long. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. And we've yeah, we've been looking at him for a few years as a, a rising star in a talent. Yeah, I mean, and it, was, it was really Baku. Baku last year, where um, he won, I think he got pole fastest lap and the race win, which is is you know phenomenal achievement at any level of motorsport. But it came, I think it was two days after his father passed away last year. So, I mean, incredible mental strength to do something like that. And uh, okay. you know, this guy is a a rising star. I think um, obviously, I mean, we, we talked about this actually off air last week. You know how these guys are going to shuffle out and end up in a, in in one of these seats that arguably they deserve and i'm sure that's something for a for another day that we can talk on the show well, sure. uh, well i speeder. leclerc's going to end up in a ferrari i'll i'll bet money on that right now he'll be replacing kimmy in 2020 maybe earlier well you know <laughs> kimmy's only got a contract to the end of this year and there's rumors that that's why i say maybe free- earlier yeah pre-contract agreement with Ferrari. I mean, is Ferrari going to want to ditch Patel? Who knows? Uh, so. We don't anyway. know. It's all. It's a lot of politics in Formula 1. So. Of course there are. Of course there are. But, yeah, but you know, that's, that's a whole show in itself. Let me throw something out there. When we're talking about you know, the last couple of races, have been, you know, like I said, it, you go into this, and, and Formula <laughs> 1 has almost become some, somewhat NASCAR-esque, you know, with the safety cars, coming out and changing changing the complexion of the race, much like they do week on a weekly basis in cup racing. Um, yeah. it's kinda it's kinda it's kinda weird, you know, that uh, we we everybody flounders and gets upset with NASCAR being like that, but you know, when we see it in Formula One it actually produces a, a compelling, very entertaining race. Well, it's interesting. One of the things that I've taken away, especially this year, and we've seen it on two or three occasions now, is um, 
the way that Mercedes have approached this season and a lot of the strategy calls that you've seen, you know, in the past, and they run a post-race every week, they put a YouTube video on online saying about, oh, you know, we did this, we did that, you know, we got our strategy right, blah, 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 all weekend. And, you know, I wouldn't say there's a certain air of arrogance about it, but it did come across that way a little bit. Uh, you know, this year they're like, oh, well, we did, you know, they've almost had to eat a little bit of the old humble pie sort of thing. Because. Yeah, because right it's, bit, it's bit them. Their strategy has bit them several times. Well, and also they're not so dominant. I mean, in the past, mm-hmm. they were probably so yeah. dominant. They probably made strategy mistakes, but got away and, with it. Right. They were uh, covered up by just their sheer yeah, speed. And I think. I think at least three races this year. I don't think there was a safety car in Bahrain, was there? I'm trying to remember. I think that was the one race where there hasn't been a safety car. But outside of that, there's been one at every race or a virtual safety car of one form or another, and it's caught every team out, or it's caught Mercedes out. And um, it's and interesting it how Ferrari sort of, this weekend. Yeah. So um, you know, I mean, but to you know, you could also argue, counter argue that the Mercedes did play the strategy right with, with Bottas by leaving him out a long time so that when um, you know the, the safety car did, did come out, he could go onto the super soft tyres. Now, of course, we, we had the issue where his tyre failed due to hitting debris late in the race, but what would have been interesting would have been Ferrari's call if the pit lane hadn't been... Uh, if the tr- cars hadn't had to drive through the pit lane. Because as... Uh, Verstappen and Ricciardo's accident was going to turn one the FIA said to everybody well look we've got to take you through the pit leg because we don't want you driving through all that debris which is the right decision to make now in doing that they gave basically you know to a certain extent a free pit stop to to Vettel and he was asking on the radio hey guys why did you stop me I'm now behind Bottas well their reply was well if we'd kept you out yeah you would have passed Bottas but he would be on the far faster tyre now, that decision to pit him or not would have been a lot different, I think, if they hadn't had to have gone down pit road. So, um, he did that in a way maybe took away a potential battle at the end of the race where you'd had Bottas trying to catch Vettel on far newer tyres yeah. and, and see how that would have all worked out. It does, it does make it interesting because, you know, for far too many years, we've seen, the, seen just where just sheer, <laughs> sheer dominance won these races and luck yeah basically th- there was no luck involved in it you know there was just these cars came in they were they were they were prepared and they, and they won the race with with this now it brings luck back into the situation where you, you can have the fastest car you can have everything going your way and you get and just the, by the luck of the draw when it comes out you get caught in it in it in it uh, it can ruin your day Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, they've been discussing discussions this week with regards to the 2019 Aero package, and uh, some of the rules that have come out uh, have included changing the, uh, um, the front wing end plates and also increasing the uh, the slot gap in the uh, in, for the DRS to make that more effective. And it was interesting the number of teams that actually voted against that. Again, probably one, you know. <laughs> From a fan's perspective, it's great that you have these unknown variables and this... You don't want to use the word luck because at the end of the day, you know, drivers deserve to win races that they win. They they, they mm-hmm. put time and the effort in and they get the rewards for it. But um, 
I think only three teams voted in favour of these rule changes, and that was a you know that was at least went to um, you know a final sign off in the next couple of weeks. Now there's a chance that Ferrari may veto that and you know pull their their Joker card and say no, we're we're not going to allow that to happen. But that's a whole other story on the political side of Formula One. But, hey, uh, speaking of speaking of DRS, uh, Seth's got a question. Okay. Uh, Richard, uh, about halfway into the race during the broadcast, they had mentioned that the remote DRS had failed. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you explain that to a relatively new fan like myself, for example, of Formula One? So my understanding of how this works is there's transponders in the track. So when the car passes over uh, the transponder point, the driver will get a and it depends how the team wishes to sort of transfer this information to the driver. It's typically it's an audio beep in the driver's headset, which says you can now activate your DRS. Um, and the driver can't. So what, what the driver's not allowed to do is like have his finger on the DRS button as they go over the line. And then it automatically open when he's in the, in the correct range. You know, he has to cue that off a feed from timing loop. Now, by sounds of things, that time loop, there'd been an issue with that. And if you were watching the, the, the TV coverage all weekend, you know, every now and again, a car would disappear off the track. Or, you know, you suddenly see a car in second when it was really running fifth or whatever. There was obviously something not quite right with the timing and scoring system uh, there this week. So the teams would get the information and the teams would be able to relay that to the driver saying, hey, look, you're now within that zone. When you pass the line, you can press that button and it'll be activated. So, uh, yeah, they had a few gremlins by sounds of things this weekend. Yeah, somebody somebody got a penalty for illegal use of DRS. Was it, it could was well it, have been. Was it one of the Renaults? I'm trying to... I just uh, read, read a brief... I think it was one of the Force Indias. I think it was a Force India. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, it could have been related to that. Because in theory, it shouldn't be able to be open outside of those windows. You know, you, I think there's two DRS zones at Baku. Um, you know, going long start, finish straight, and then also between turn two and three. So it's and the cars really, have to be within a second of one another. Yeah, so the car has to be within a second of the car in front of it. Now, it doesn't have to be the car in front of it in terms of position, just the car in front of it on track. So you can be about to lap somebody, and it will allow you to open the DRS when you're lapping somebody. Okay. And that car doesn't have to still because still be in front of you. There's a, a timing point on the track. So there's two points on the track. There's one where the uh, timing delta is determined, and then there's a point where you are allowed to activate your DRS. So yeah, they're only in certain zones on the track. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what you can sometimes get a scenario is you, you pass a point and you're, you know, say, two-tenths of a second behind a specific car. You're say, hey, look, when you get to the, the activation line, you can open it because you're within the detection zone. You can actually pass that car before you get to the activation line, and then you can activate it and get an extra lead on it. I think Malaysia used to have that as well. That was an interesting one at Malaysia because you had DRS on the start-finish line and the backstretch, which were sort of you know parallel to each other. But there was only one activation zone. So you could actually pass somebody going into the final corner and then still have the same sort of DRS credit going down the start-finish line. So sometimes it can be a little bit, a bit confusing. Um, you know, there's been proposals, I know they've done a simulation on, well, look, you can just open it if you're within a second of the car in front, no matter where you are on the track. 
personally, I think that'd be quite a good way of doing it, uh, rather than having specific parts, um, you know, specific zones. But, um, you know, it's... I, I know the long-term plan from the Formula One governing body is to go away from DRS. Because they see, you know, Ross Braun's talked about how it's a, a fake form of motorsport, and it's not really how it should be done. It's the same thing as push to pass as an IndyCar. Exactly. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. But, you know, I, I know that, you know, Ross Braun in a lot of interviews said, look, for 2021, which is when the big next rule change and overhaul is coming, we're going to get away with this, and these cars are going to be designed to be able to pass on on raw pace rather than having to yeah. rely on a you know an added bonus sort of thing. It's kind of an artificial. It's kind of artificial. It is. It is, and uh, you know, it's 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 not really where I think you know. Yeah, I've never been a big fan added, of the push it, to pass yeah. in, in IndyCar either. It's the problem with IndyCar is you know you get both guys doing it at the same time. So where's the yeah. advantage? Yeah, it washes out. Yeah, I mean, what makes it exciting is the guy, the guy that the guy that uses his up, and then he's a sitting duck at the end of the race. And the end of these teams end up doing so much modeling and simulation on it. They know where the optimum part of the track is to use the push to pass, and everybody will know the same answer. So you end up with a net zero effect, basically. All right, well, speaking of IndyCar, we're right up at the end of our program. We've just got uh, uh, a minute or two less, but uh, be remiss not to mention that uh, IndyCars are on the track at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They had an open test uh, May 31st, or I'm sorry, April 31st and May 1st, and uh, IndyCar fans like to say, is it May yet? Well, guess what? It's May. Um, they held the <laughs> rookie orientation program um, and the pressure courses for those that uh, haven't been in a car for a while, including, yes, Seth, April 30th and May 1st. What did I say? Something ridiculous. April something 31st. You added a day to the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Julius Caesar added a day to the calendar, too, when he realized his month was shorter than, than somebody else's. So, But <laughs> but, I, but I digress. Not, but, uh, not holding yourself in too high a regard there, are we? Okay. All right, all right. Guys, we're, uh, we're running out of time. I just just want to get this in here that uh, they had the sec- second test of the windscreen. Uh, Scott Dixon had tested it in um, Phoenix earlier this year. This year they put it on Joseph Newgarden's car. Um, and uh, for Nina, yeah. Dixon. Oh, did they, both, did they both run it in Indy? Yeah, Dixon had it too, yeah. Okay, so, and, you know, so far they, I, I know Newgarden had a little problem with the glare. They tried some things with some tape, and I think by, by the end of the run there, um, he was able to see pretty well. Uh, generally positive. Uh, Gray, you and I were talking about it earlier off the air. Um, it really doesn't spoil the look of the car at all. I mean, it's, it ba- it's basically clear. It looks like a looks like a fighter jet cowl, although it doesn't totally cover the driver so you still got that open yeah, helmet static, and statically it looks it looks fine i mean i don't think it'll it'll take detract or take away from me i think it to me it looks better than the halo does on the f1 cars absolutely yeah yeah so and even what i'm hearing is that indycar is sharing their um data with the fia 
Um, the windscreen test. Maybe the uh, Formula One may look into the windscreen itself, but we'll, that's all down the road. But we are right up at the end of our time slot, so I'd like to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, and Spreaker, uh, and iTunes. I want to thank you, Gray Warren, Richard Uden, Seth Eggert. I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen to us on a weekly basis. Uh, we'll be back on in a week to uh, discuss some more racing. Good night. <laughs> Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.